On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. And I'm Jake. And today we're covering the greatest slasher movie of all time, Scream 3. Okay, fine, the first Scream. Yeah, no, this is um, mine and Jake's, uh, or at least I'm assuming it's um, one of your favorite horror movies of all time. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite films of all time. This is also my favorite horror franchise. Yeah, same. Um, Yeah, we'll get into the whole legacy and the sequels as we go along, but we're obviously mostly going to be focusing on this one. It is the 25th anniversary of Scream, so we're actually a little early. The movie came out closer to December. Or did it come out in December? I think it came out December 20th. Yeah, so weird, but okay, we're going to talk about Halloween because it's spooky time. But yeah, we're, we're diving right into the deep end here with the Drew Barrymore scene. So did you know, like, the first time you watched this, what was going to happen, or was that a shock for you? I think I I, I think I might have already known what was going to happen because I, I had been exposed to Scream somewhat before that. I was interested in it before I saw it. So I knew this this kill was coming up. Um, but I was still really engaged with it nonetheless and still uh, engaged with the whole plot over the course of the movie. Yeah, I can't really recall. Like, I definitely knew of the movie. I'd seen the Boy Meets World parody, which oh, yeah. some people with the Jennifer Lo- uh, Love Hewitt thing kind of compare it more to um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, but I always thought it was more Scream-oriented. Um, yeah, if I recall correctly, I knew she died, but I thought it was going to be like Psycho, where she was going to be like Janet Lee, where it was going to be a little bit further in. So, I mean, you know, whenever people say, oh, wow, Psycho changes protagonists halfway through, it's like, you got to really give them credit with this. That's like, this was Drew Barrymore at her A game. You know, I, she was all over the marketing. Who knew she was not going to make it through the first 15 minutes of the movie? Yeah, well, I think she was originally cast as Sydney Prescott, but she. She lobbied to play this part because she thought it would be a great way to open it, where if she, if she was killed off, then anything could happen. All bets were off. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. You know, she's very affable in here. I mean, that's the one downside to this movie is you don't get to see more Drew Barrymore playing you know, Casey. She's great in this. Yeah, it's a really great self-contained little scene, really well directed by Wes Craven. And obviously very well written by um, that one guy. Kevin Williamson. Yeah, no, <laughs> The crazy thing here is um, there's this YouTuber who I'm blanking on his name, but he's did for all four Scream movies, Who Killed Who, and, like, you know, trying to figure out the layout of all the murders. And that's when I actually found out, or maybe I'd forgotten about it for years, that this was not a set. Like, they really lucked out in this house, and they used the open spaces to its fullest. Like, this feels like this I, – I always thought this was a set because it was so well-constructed mm-hmm. to fit the – flow of the scene yeah i mean they probably scouted real locations to to fit in terms to fit the logistics or what was written i, I mean i i wouldn't overthink too much who like who was doing what in the scene i think just obviously i think kevin williamson had to plan stuff out to create the tension and suspense and and everything but the idea is like, there's two killers and it, it, yeah and it gives you more flexibility just to do things so i think that just gave him yeah. gave him that yeah, no, I was I was just mainly talk, using that as a springboard because he talked about because the guy like went onto like Zillow and like found the house and like was able to get like measurements of it to be like okay yeah could billions who run the length they see around it it actually is pretty interesting but I agree with you um, yeah it's it's fun to watch but I I think yeah. it's a little overthought yeah 
by the way, um, Drew Barrymore's face here, you know, in reality, it wasn't Roger Jackson talking to her. It, they were explaining what her future with Tom Green would be like. Yes. I do have to say, I'm not a huge fan of the scary movies franchise, but I do love the parody of the opening of this in the first scary. Oh, movie. yeah. Anytime she sprints the door, I just expect her to be beating the crap out of kids. <laughs> Yeah, Roger Jackson and Drew Barrymore. I mean, obviously, you know, he's not present on set, but, you know, they were really talking and all that. And I don't know if they held through to the rest of the sequels, but I know on this one they never actually met him, none of the people who were yeah. dealing with him on the phone. Yeah, I don't know that either, but here it's definitely the case. I think he wasn't on set here, but he was around to be on the phone and to interact with them. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, I read, like, he was in the vicinity. Like, he, they had him, like, on a trailer somewhere on property so they wouldn't have to deal with, like, a fucked yeah. up phone connection or whatever. Yeah. Well, he, I think, was originally just supposed to be, like, a placeholder voice until they cast the actual voice actor. But uh, he was just so good they decided to keep him. And it's like the it's just the perfect voice too. It's it's the voice that kind of makes his franchise. It's it's like that final piece of the puzzle. It's just the perfect storm of of this film. Yeah, no, it's great because and you know, obviously you do have the ghost face killer costume consistent throughout, but it's obviously different people in all four soon to be five movies. Though five maybe they're zombies. I don't know. I shouldn't speak. Could you imagine if, like, it's zombie Billy Loomis? That'd be that, I mean, that's what the third I Know What You Did last summer movie did. Just the guy's back as a zombie for some reason. <laughs> killing people that have nothing to do with him. It's weird. But, um, no, it's nice that they kept that consistent, you know, minus part three at times. But um, oh, part three did a lot bad. Uh, yeah, three kind of sucks. I, I mean, it's but, the least good one. I I enjoy it, but it, it's it's not a good script. It's someone trying to write a screen movie and, and failing. But anyway, we'll we'll get yeah. more into that later, perhaps. But now this guy was up for the Billy character, but he lost out to it, so he was given to this as sort of like a consolation. Yeah, yeah. And even though he doesn't have any actual lines, it's he does a really good job. He's acting his heart out here. Like you feel like Russ Craven said he would murder him if he fucked this up. <laughs> I think how Wes Craven got Drew Barrymore to cry was telling her about like animal animal torture. torture. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, she's an animal lover. But this is all great here. It, it just it's it's interesting how this is all set up with with the rules and and everything. And it's all just kind of a smokescreen to something a much deeper and more disturbing pathology. Is we'll, we'll get to that later though. But it's really just I mean, no matter what, she's gonna die, and they're just these two sick fucks just kind of getting off on this yeah i actually remember reading a um thing like someone like uh, this is going way back on the old imdb message boards where people discuss like you know would they have killed her regardless and like what if she answered the questions right you know some people yeah. speculate they'd be like uh, uh, oh shit but um they said with a jason question someone theorized that no that it was always gonna be a trick question no matter what where no. they, they would be like if she said Mrs. Warriors, well, Jason's the main killer for the whole series, or, you know, if she then said, could have done a various different things, but I don't know. Like I said, it's a good, like, you know, movie moment, because horror movies have always had references, or at least in the 70s and 80s, had references to other horror movies. So, like, in Nightmare on Elm Street, they watch Evil Dead 2, and one of the Jason movies, you have the Necronomicon from Evil Dead. Obviously, um, around this time, they had done the um, final Friday or whatever, or Jason goes to hell where, you know, Freddy Krueger's hand pops out, shit like that. But 
you never to this level saw this much discussion of famous slasher movies. Yeah. And that's what differentiates it from, hey, they're watching a movie I know, too. They're actively discussing why the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels suck. They're actively discussing the whole Jason's not the killer in the first one. Yeah. Well, going back to your first point, that they do confirm that they were going to kill him anyway. That's what Billy says yeah. later at the end of the movie. I'm just saying people on the message. Oh, oh, that. okay. So, well, did they I, watch the movie? <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't get the idea that Billy and Stu are, like, nice No, they, guys. it's not like they can go back from this. Like, they have to commit anyway. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, no, this – well, that's this that's part what made it so innovative. Just, yeah, the meta nature of it, too, but just the ingenuity of the whole – just the construction of the idea and everything. It's, it's not just a horror movie. It's, it's also, like – it's a meta commentary on movies, but it's also just like a great, really well crafted murder mystery. Like that's really how it's structured. Yeah, I, it, I usually don't describe this movie as a horror movie. I describe it as like a whodunit mystery. It, yeah, that, well, that's that's the spine of it. That's that's the structure in which you know the movie functions and everything is is anchored by. But it's it's like a horror satire sort of yeah. thing. It's not. I've never considered this movie to be scary, scary, and it's not supposed to be anyway. But it's I, I, unsettling. For, yeah, well, I, I I forgot how I how I experienced this the first time, if I was really scared or not. Um, yeah, I was in middle school when I first saw this. I think I think I'd seen clips over the years, and this is actually embarrassing. My first ever contact with Scream was, um, and Jake is familiar with this because I just told him this story. Um, I was really big into Scooby-Doo, as anyone on the channel knows by how many times we've talked about the movies. And I got the um, scrapbook for the first movie and it like listed all the actors what they had been in and matthew lillard you know they mentioned scream because he hadn't been in much so i'm like i need to watch it i love shaggy and i asked my cousin like does, does matthew lillard survive the movie and my like 17 year old cousin's like i i think so she didn't have the like d- didn't have the will to crush me <laughs> crush my spirit so huh. watching it then a few years later i'm like oh my god shaggy no yeah i was introduced to this franchise i when it was on cable, I, I Scream Three was the first Scream movie I ever saw, and I really enjoyed that when I was like in my early teens. It it played on TBS a lot, and then I think Scream Two played on AMC. Yeah, um, yeah, and great movie in retrospect to be on TBS. It's clearly so bad that it's almost funny. But um, but yeah, that's so I was introduced through like the worst movie, but and then years later, I when I was like 17 i i got really interested in these movies and i just i watched this and then the second one and then it was like a year before the f- the fourth film came out yeah wait so wait you didn't see the first the fourth one until you were almost in college no no i saw it in, in high school oh okay I misunderstood. yeah it came oh, out wait, my oh, senior wait, year at high, high school, school. Yeah. I, I, yeah i forgot how long ago that movie's been out um <laughs> yeah like 10 old. years it's been 10 years um yeah, no, when I, so when I first saw this, though, I saw, thought when, like, the car was coming, I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to get away, and, like, she's going to be the main character and all that, potentially, and all that, because I, like, I thought she was in the movie a lot more, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. Um, But, no, yeah, I was very much the same way. Saw, they had three on TBS a lot and two on AMC, so I feel like, yeah, I was the same way. I saw probably two first, and that, like, continued leading in my, does Matthew Lillard survive? He's not dead, because I don't know who the fuck Stu is at the time you know well if, if they'd followed kevin williamson's original outline for scream 3 Stu would have been back yeah that uh what a shame what a what a genius 
Which I don't even get because that, like, I don't know if it's been confirmed, but people theorize that it was supposedly because of Columbine they cut out. But yeah, I, no, I, that, that that kind of, that th- it was that actually. Was confirmed? Okay, because yeah. I've always, like, how the fuck does that, like, tie into it, like, The idea of sort of, I guess, like, these youths being manipulated by this guy. And, like, I, I think it's I think it's dumb, too, but it's, it's stupid, it the, superficial. It it, yeah, it's it's it, typical. It was, the, it was, like, Marilyn Manson being yeah. know, cut off. Um I mean, this is deeply just like unsettling. Like, imagine like these parents having to fucking hear their daughter being fucking murdered. I mean, if it were late '90s, early 2000s, Drew Barrymore, and she was really screwed up, maybe you would be happy. But like, this is height of her career. Yeah. But no, seriously. Like, I know this has no real impact on the movie going forward, but this whole reveal of her gutted and hanging body is super fucked up and had to be so shocking to audiences but um oh and then this this coming up right here i think it was recut frames were taken out of it just to secure the r rating otherwise it would have been an nc-17 so if you notice it's very very jumpy that's because yeah. craven and uh lucier the editor had to cut out frames which is like weird but it's like oh we can't have the f- frame 20 but we can have frame 35 yeah well it, it still works it's it in fact, it makes it a little more unsettling. Yeah. Um, yeah, now we have Sydney. You know, our yeah. introduction. The little do we know final girl. Well, one of the two final girls, technically speaking. Yeah, Sydney. I, I love the Sydney. One of the reasons why this is my favorite horror franchise is because I, I love the character of Sydney and all the other characters. She's probably my favorite horror character. Yeah. Um, I, I just... I, she's really well played by Nev Campbell. Just very... Just an intelligent actor and... And just has that perfect balance of vulnerability and, and softness, but kind of that inner strength. She just she, she also just feels very real yeah. too at the same time. She just hits all the all the beats and yeah, like even in part three, like she's still great in that wake with the PTSD yeah, from like yeah. part two, like, which she, we'll get into. She's one of those actors where she doesn't really need to try much. If she didn't, she would still be great. She just makes it look really effortless. And but just what I love about the character of Cindy is that. It's it's kind of an exception, really, amongst these horror films, where a char- you follow a character over the co- over the course of a franchise and they grow. Yeah. The third one, eh, it's a little wishy washy. It gets a little regressive. But Scream One, Scream Two, and Scream Four, she she, yeah. she feels like a, a a developed character each time. And yeah, and I know I'm like about to describe like the passage of time. I guess is is just real, but like watching this one, she just seems like so young and like small and like yo. Know, I don't like know how much of that was just the fact that yeah, Nev Campbell is the youngest we've seen in this franchise, but like yeah, the fact she's got like a ponytail and like the nuggety and all that, she just like seems like so like small and like mousy almost, and like yeah, she evolves over the movie, this movie in general, but then like the franchise, yeah. So I guess I'm just describing Nev Campbell like aging into her like 40s now. Well, that's what's like, kind of interesting. That's why I'm I'm curious to see her character in the fifth movie to see where she's at there and. And it's a sh- I wish she did more movies. I don't I don't know what man. It could be just the classic like you know, Hollywood female once you age out, quote unquote. Like you don't get as many roles, or maybe she just chooses not to act as much. She lives in London now, so I, yeah. I don't. I know. mean, between all four of these movies and Party of Five, I'm sure she actually has like a nice little nest egg built up. So, I, yeah, I don't need to. Yeah, no. Well, that's the thing. I I just wish I saw her in more movies. Yeah. I think she's a really terrific actor. Because that's the thing, like, I struggle to think, like, what else do I know her from besides? She, she was in The Craft, yeah, uh, like, Wild Thing. Really, she's bigger in the 90s with everything. Yeah. Um, but cast in general in this is great. You know, I mean, 
you know, you, got, you love, um, I almost said Dewey Arquette, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Courtney Cox and, um, oh fuck, what's his name? David Arquette? David Arquette. David Arquette. I forgot his first name. Um, you know, they're great, obviously, so the series goes on. But, I mean, I think this one is especially great. You had Drew Barrymore, you know, Jughead here, uh, which I'll get into in a second. But, you know, no, Ski Dollar is great. Matthew Lillard, you know, Jamie Kennedy is great. You know, and then all the side people, you know, yeah. Rose McGowan was great. Henry Winkler, he's only in, like, three scenes, but he's memorable. Just, I love the sheriff, too. Oh, yeah, no, he's, yeah, it's, it's perfect. It just... Linda Blair for four seconds. Yeah. Or is that the second one? That's this movie. Okay, that's this one. Yeah, Skeet Ulrich is terrific in this. It, it really, just really great performance. Just yes. really flows with just the script of just that, you know, you not knowing if it's him yeah. or not. And he just totally sells it. And then once you go back and you watch it, it's it's perfectly clear. But it's just, it's really a testament to his acting ability because that's, that's hard to do. Yeah, my friend in college had actually never watched this. It was like sophomore year, mm-hmm. sophomore, junior year. And she had never watched it. I'm like, oh shit, you've really never watched this movie? And like, she, it was like, it's like when you find out like your friend's never seen Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And doesn't know Luke Skywalker's Darth Vader's kid spoilers. Yeah. That's like, um it was like a magical moment. I'm like, Oh my God. I like, <laughs> I was pointing out the red herrings to be fair. I'm like, weird. Those people have boots too. And all that. I'm like, just trying to see. And she's like, I don't know who it is. And she's like, this is frustrating the hell out of me. It was great. Um, no, but they're all great. Um, in this, and by the way, um, so did she see that coming? She, no, though? she did not. Okay, like she gasped out loud, like at the fake out death scene, and then was like freaking the fuck out, like when he like his reveal, which we'll get into how well acted that is. But um, just quickly following up on my Jughead joke, that's a reference to the show Riverdale that I hate watched for a long time. Yeah, let's not talk about that. No, no, I have to say one thing about that. The All right, parent, keep it to keep it to thirty seconds. The parents were great. Um, but he plays Jughead's father. And there was an episode that dealt with a fake murder, and they talk about corn syrup blood, and I fucking hate that self-referential show for not having him say, yeah, corn syrup, like they used in Carrie. I hate the fact they didn't go. Like, you go with your over-the-top jokes already. Just do it. Have Skeet Ulrich say it again, goddammit. Okay, that's the first and last time we'll ever talk about that show. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, th- so this is great here. This uh, this is Rose McGowan as Tatum. Just another really well... I love the dialogue here of... Yeah. Just yeah, just Kevin Williamson's dialogue. He he's one of the few writers who knows how to write like teenagers very well. If you notice in a lot of movies, you can tell adults are trying to write like teenagers yeah. through like quote unquote like hip lingo and slang and everything. That's not really how teenagers talk. He writes the teens here in like a really kind of morbid, sarcastic way, and that's that's kind of how teenagers talk. Yeah, no, I mean, I <laughs> I could truly like imagine just like being at school, like two of our classmates are dead, and that there would be assholes making these jokes and all that yeah it all, it, it all feels very real but i think also maybe you know not to get too grim that in a pre-columbine world where shit like this was happening regularly on campuses people didn't realize how morose kids humor could be that's like we then you do see now people making macabre jokes and all that a little bit more when shit like this happens mm. so hmm. but yeah the fonz a that's uh, Barry Zuckercorn. Hey. It's Barry Zuckercorn. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I like that little moment where we meet Dewey Arquette. <laughs> That's what I'm going to refer to him from now on. Dewey Arquette. She's like, oh, hi, Dewey. Oh, it's Deputy Dewey right now. It's like, you poor fucking Dewey. Like, he, he's just trying to get respect. And, like, you can really see how 
Officer Doofy in scary movies <laughs> from it. Like that's like my favorite part. That first scary movie is just fucking perfection in my it, opinion. It, it, it's fine. It's it's okay. I, it's it ain't it ain't airplane or anything like that. But I mean, it, it does it. Well, well, we won't talk about that. Yeah, Let's just fun. talk about the movies. Um, and I like um, people have said this is this was like the one time where this looked almost like a Dawson's Creek thing. And it's like you take the murder out like this almost sounds like an episode he would have Kevin Williams would have wrote. I'm like, that's that's again what's great. Like these seem like real teens and like they're arguing Tatum's trying to defend against sexism. Stu's making macabre jokes and all that that are sexist. You know, Randy's making the movie quotes. We're very quickly getting introduced to everyone's, you know, personality yeah. here. It also kind of kicks off the whodunit thing here where they start questioning. Interesting how Randy guesses correctly guesses both killers. <laughs> it's the first time here with Stu and then at the video store it's with Billy. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great no like him high like yeah they broke up with you didn't they yeah yeah I, is it see when i when i first saw this randy was my favorite because i was my favorite character because i could identify with him the most i was a lot like him i was like a movie freak you weren't I, like tatum no <laughs> uh well no <laughs> yeah, no i think most fans of this franchise see themselves in randy because he's our own idealized version of our own geekdom really we all like to think we're as witty or charming as a Kevin Williamson character, but we're probably not. Um, also, a great thing I forgot to mention with the earlier scene is, I like how when you see Billy chastising Stu, it's actually a great bit of foreshadowing. Watching it for the first time, you just think he's being differential to talking about murder since Sydney's right there tying back to her mother. But when you watch this in re-watching, he's actually worried that Stu might be tipping his hand too much here especially since randy is already suspicious of him like you said um yeah so this is great because billy's obviously the brains of the operation and he's really just trying to reel Stu's insanity in and keep him in check to accomplish the goal but Stu's having way too much fun here just another great thing about this movie it rewards you on re-watching the movie over and over again so yeah i love the location of this house because it really um you know, tries setting up how isolated all their homes are. You know, like we see with um, Casey's house, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere that she couldn't run anywhere. It's the same thing here with Sydney. So you're just constantly on edge with um, where and when the killer might strike and that, like, there's nowhere they can go. This isn't like in Nightmare on Elm Street where it's like, oh, there's several houses across the street from them. So it's a beautiful location and works practically to keep them isolated. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I think this is wine country. Yeah. Oh, the music's great here. Mar- Marco Beltrami's score. I think this is like his first scored film. Love that sort of female choir to it in the background. Uh, yeah, all the music's great. And then, yeah, obviously we've talked over a bit, you know, but obviously this is pretty creative having Sydney have the trauma of, like, her mother's murder that we, at the time, think is unconnected. But once we meet Gail, we start theorizing, oh, it could be connected. Um, sorry. Um, but, no, it's very clever. You know, we got her father out of the house, another red herring and mm-hmm. all that. We set up that she was cheating and all that. Um yeah, the only thing, though, I think they could have set up a little bit better was, um, and I guess this isn't Stu and Billy's plan, is why would he go after all these, like, random people other than he just snapped? So 
I think they could have set a few red herrings to how he was like connected to um how it was connected to his wife somehow like how Casey and Steve were connected somehow like you know it could have been like Henry Wrinkler had been sleeping with the like mother and all that type thing well I, I think what they're trying to do is get into Sydney's head like that was the whole point of that of that uh shot where Casey sat next to her in English and everything yeah, like guess, the, yeah. they are trying to get get in, like the whole point of their plan is try to like lower her defenses I mean granted here they are trying to kill her and then it goes wrong but um over the course of the movie is is you know Billy gets arrested and everything he has to you know Yes, well, I don't know though. Do the, more, do are they things? necessarily actually trying to kill because they haven't done any of the setup yet to like try and make sure it seems like it's the father? I mean, I know he's out of town and they presumably just kidnapped him. Because oh, he is wearing the same outfit you see at the at his one scene in this. So I don't know if necessarily they were trying to fuck with her head a little bit more because man, that's pretty smart on Stu saying like, oh fuck I gotta call the police station right now Billy's just been arrested get, get, I gotta grab the voice changer yeah I I actually forgot about that too because their plan is to frame it on the dad I which is that so that's why I met like with the red hair yeah ring, so. well I, I I guess I would like to think that this all wasn't planned out on their behalf like Billy getting caught and everything a part of me thinks that was unintentional and they did to uh, well, because you got to remember, like, the father is gone in this scene yeah. already. So at this point, they could have already set him up. Yeah, no. So I, that's the inflation we're supposed to get is when you see him at the end, he's wearing the same outfit he was in the bedroom set. So yeah. I always got, like, okay, Billy sets up his alibi. I was there with Sydney, And then, okay, bye, Sydney. I'm going to go fucking knock your dad out and put him in the trunk before I go home type thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, that's my one thing where it's, like, their plan – it's a little inconsistent from like a, like if you're trying to do a logistic setup of like okay are they toying with her here or are they killing her and they are they adapting on the fly here um yeah i guess i have to think about that a little i used to think the whole movie was part of their plan to culminate on the night a uh, marine died which i think that's like what it is that like father has started going crazy and yeah like yeah a couple days and, leading up and then that he like snaps and murders his daughter yeah actually it it, yeah, that might actually so be the th case. That's it's, my thing. It's like I don't know where it's. Um, yeah. So so this whole thing, because I, I I went back to that too. If if this whole thing is just Billy manipulating, uh, saying just to lower her defenses and for, and for him to eventually kill her. Yeah, and, that, and, that's what I. Yeah. Assumed. Okay. And he's also fucking with her because he tangentially blames her for um, the mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I... which and you know their plan doesn't have to make sense for like why they're killing people like they're sick fucks like it doesn't have to fucking well it, it, it does add up again Casey made sense no, Tate... no, I'm, like, I'm just like saying like their their logic of trying to frame the dad I guess in theory doesn't need to make sense they're crazy fucks so like I get like why they were killing all these people like and all that but I don't know you're you saying there didn't need to be a motive Oh, not a motive. Excuse me. Uh, 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 wait. No. So I'm like, oh, fuck. This commentary is going great. Um, <laughs> I no. think it's going fine. It's just, it's just that last part. I was a little. No. So what I'm saying is that like their plot to me has never been coherent to the like point of like, okay, why would the dad snap and kill Casey and Steve? Like, I get why they physically are doing it. And I get, like, my point is their plan doesn't have to technically make logical sense mm -hmm. because they're fucking insane. 
Like it makes it, it's it's crazy person logic in a way. So I mean, I guess that could be the thing where it's like, there's no way they would have actually gotten away with this. You know, you when they fucking find the dad's dead body and all of them, it's like, wow, that's really weird. You got like just stabbed once in the fucking shoulder, kid. And oh, there's you know duct tape residue on this guy's like clothes and then there's no gun residue wow. on it. like they would have been caught but like it makes sense and i guess in their twisted logic well yeah obviously like and yeah in their minds they need to do something but in the grander sense of the movie yeah they probably weren't going to get away with it. or or not maybe they would have been tricked i mean who knows but the fact is that they believe it and that and that they have to do that to carry out their plan and that's where the drama comes in that's the most important thing It's a great moment where she finally is like, you're not just playing a joke on me. You're like actually really fucked up. Um, great moment, acting moment, just subtle face moment. And then, yeah, this realization he's already in the fucking house. And he comes out of the closet too. So I guess Stu was already. Oh, I think it was she, they lured her outside so they could then sneak in. So like it had to be both of them here. And I've heard some people say when, um, she kicks um, Ghostface here. It, people say it and like says it sounds more like um, Stu. Like so, I I've never heard I, confirmation whether they um, ADR'd Matthew Lillard in there or it's like you know just a thing where it's like okay, you hear a grunt and you're you're trying to ascribe it to like one of the two actors. Yeah, I, I think it's just it's like this. This is a stunt man. This isn't one of the actors. This, they just got some person well, to well, do I, the yeah, I know it wasn't actually them in the costume, but, like, some people, like, said, did they, like, ADR? Like, okay, Matthew Lillard, make a grunt sound like you just got kicked in the stomach or take it from, like, later in the movie as, like, a subtle hint. Um, I don't know, but, like, it's clear both of them have to be here because he fucking disappears here, and then two seconds later, Billy comes through the window. Yeah, well, this is definitely Stu, and then Billy has to be the other one. So, yeah, uh, so yeah. Billy lured her out. He's hiding somewhere in the bushes with the phone calling so he can see it. And then, like, you know, somehow was able to alert Stu, like, okay, go. And then, yeah, Stu fucking sneaks into the house through the open door. And then, yeah, this is the most 1996 moment ever. You have a cell phone? Guilty. <laughs> I love the line later when he's... Cellular phone. The one he's being interrogated. What are you doing with the cellular phone? Yeah. Well, everyone's got one, Sheriff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember even like 10 years, like when they were fucking doing this, the fourth one when I'm in high school. I'm like, why do I need a cell phone? I'm in high school, let alone fucking nearly 20 years before. Yeah, interesting. I think in the fourth one, Ghostface calls the most because they're using, everyone's using a cell phone. Yeah, I mean, you need to be near a landline for this one to yeah. work and all that. Um, yeah, I always like that red herring of, like, Dewey, because it also makes zero sense that the cops show up very this quickly, though. I've always taken it just like, hey, Dewey was supposed to pick him up, so he sees, like, the door or whatever ajar, and he and sees the mask on the ground, so that's why he's a little alert. Well, but yeah. Why, but... the, why the lights were already on, I don't know, but well, maybe, yeah. maybe Dewey likes the sirens. Well, yeah, it's all part of the construction of the whodunit where Dewey is just one of the red herrings where I remember even like going into Scream 2, people thought Dewey was still like the, the third killer of this movie. And then really? he, yeah, he came to like t to the campus just to finish the job or something. It's just like, it's just ridiculous. But, <laughs> but I, I love Dewey. I think now that I'm older, he's behind Sydney, maybe my favorite of the original characters because I, I just love this guy this he's like he's just barney fife yeah. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> no like you know you can tell like in this quiet town minus marines murder the previous year that's like 
it's a quiet town where the police are ornamental at most, and they just got to deal with, like, punk kids, yeah. like, an egging shit. Like, that they're not equipped to handle anything like this. Well, it's just... Dewey takes it so seriously. I mean, he, that, well, that's what you kind of love about him, but well, he's, he's such, like, a doofus. Yeah, because he's then, like, getting fucking ice cream cones yeah. and all that, which was a red herring, but... um, yeah, He's almost like a big kid. Well, yeah, and it's weird that he's younger than I am now because he's only 26 years. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, he's like the slightly older brother to all these people. So it's like he's like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing you guys when I was in high school and you were the middle schoolers and all. Yeah, he tries being the cool guy at the party later on and all that. Great. Oh, and Courtney Cox. Yeah. We didn't mention. Season two of Friends, season two or three, I think. Yeah, just what a great character. Just perfectly played by Courtney Cox. Yeah, and I mean, it's a sh- they kind of softened her up in the later ones a little bit. Well, it, which ones? I mean, three, I think, was the most softened up one. Like, she's an- definitely annoyed a lot, but like, I think it was like a symptom of, hey, you're the nice one on Friends. Let's try and give you more funny shit versus here. It's like she's the snarkiest bitch on the planet. And it's great. Like, they're portraying her as like, yeah, she's like, I was like the fucking weather girl or whatever but i want to like be a serious journalist so she like has to be like come a sleazy journalist to try and like claw her way up and it's just like a, it's a great character and she's perfect in here i don't know i don't know if she was a, a weather woman or anything like that well, i think I'm, it... I'm i'm painting i'm painting like the picture that like she wasn't oh. taken serious oh yeah well, well she's just a tabloid sleazy tabloid yeah, so, and she's trying to win yeah. you know the pulitzer i love this I love this. Just the sarcasm the sheriff says with this thing. Thanks, Hank. We're on top of it. <laughs> it makes me laugh each time. This guy actually really looks a lot like um, Skeet Ulrich. That was good casting on for his dad's part. Yeah, he's got those eyes. He's got that whatever Ulrich, like whoever nationality that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good match. Yeah, and he's you know especially since this is his fucking only scene, like they didn't really have to try that hard. Mm-hmm. Oh god, they should bring this guy back to be like zombie Billy or something like that. It's like you look so much older, Billy. Yeah, no, he's great in here, and it's like some people say he's a little too obvious at times, and it's like I try and go back to oh. not not knowing the twist. Like I think almost it works beautifully that he's trying to set himself up to be obvious to fuck with her a little bit more and that obviously comes to play at the end of the movie when um he has when he like you know just get into what the fake death and all that he's just trying to fuck with her head a little bit more yeah because i mean realistically if you're just trying to get away from murder you want to make yourself as not suspicious as possible but this is all again in the way of just trying to fuck with her mind more than anything and another example of why dewey's great he's got the fucking i guess those are like handcuff toy handcuffs or something like that and he's got like the booby inspector hat on the edge (laughs) of his computer which you could not get away with today in 2021 in a police station i think sheriff dewey would get hashtag canceled now he's sheriff in the fourth one right yep okay is that costume they found the production that wasn't it wasn't in the script i think kevin williamson just wrote mass killer not there was no ghost face i think the fun world the people who uh uh owned the look created that name they had to go out and find the costume and they 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 found the costume loved it but they didn't have the rights to it yet so greg nicotero and k and b created a a mask that looked 
a lot like the ghost face mask. And they were using, I think they used that for a couple, they may have used it for a couple of the scenes, but then they got the rights cleared, they got them, and they, they managed to use it for, for most of the movie. Yeah, it's cr- I mean, it's like very much like the Shatner Halloween mask. It's just like, okay, go to the Halloween store and find something that looks good. And yeah, I mean, it's now called Ghost Face, which I, they don't call him that in this, do they? Or does Tatum say I, that? I think Tatum says when she's in the thing, Mr. Ghost, or no, she could say Mr. Killer. Well, we'll no, I think out. she says Mr. Ghostface, yeah. All right, well, either way, it's you know, funny. It's called Ghostface, but it's you know the costume, as you saw in the previous moment. It says, you know, Father of Death or something like that. Father Death. Is, father yeah, Death. Which, here it know, was. Was setting up, again, suspicion mm-hmm. on the um, father mm-hmm. more. But, yeah, it's funny how the name has changed. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's you can still get the Ghostface thing, and I don't think they um, – I never recall seeing scream emblems on it. it's just like we all know it's a scream one but they can still sell independently of this mm-hmm. which i mean shows you they got a sweetheart deal i'm sure they're not paying too much money to new line for that <laughs> i love that <laughs> I, I just wanted to quote scream three it's like my lawyer like that oh went down yeah this is great just like how great of a friend tatum is um, yeah really the only person they don't try and set up to have a red herring with her like i'm trying to think like every other major character in this movie has a red herring moment yeah but yeah. then sometimes a lot of times in mysteries too a lot of a lot of times it's it's the person they don't point the finger at so sure. sometimes with these mysteries you can just i feel people have gotten have gotten so conspiratorial with with mysteries that you they you can just kind of let the movie do its thing and people you can just sit back and let the audience do the work in terms of speculation yeah. without having to do that. So for all we know, people could be like, oh, well, it could be Tatum, too. And yeah, yeah I that's mean, just part of the paranoia that Williamson sets up. Well, and, you know, in Scream 2, it originally was supposed to be um, I'm blanking on the roommate's name, the Tatum stand in for that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it could have been her. But um, yeah, no, a great red herring moment. So I guess unless you think there are two killers, it couldn't have been Tatum here because you see her. But like, it's a great reveal in a moment that the mom can't get Dewey's attention, and Dewey only comes mm-hmm. out right after it's hung up. And I love, I love his delivery on the line. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's just he's wearing the the white t shirt and his boxers with the gun. Yeah. It's just <laughs> he just looks. looks I just look at this. Look. Yeah. <laughs> so seductively oh this song is great to me this is the song of scream I, I know it's associated with peaky blinders now but this song is always the scream song well, to me fuck you it's playing over the end credits of this I, no I no i guess not fuck you fuck the rest of the people who associate but no it's great um, no it, it plays over the end of scream three no i'm saying it's playing oh, god the joke went bad i'm playing over the closing credits of the commentary oh oh say. okay um maybe just do like a cricket effect there yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, Leaf Schreiber's only part at this one. Yeah, talk about a a favor. I mean, he comes back in the second one in a pretty major role, but which I mean, I don't think they knew he this was gonna get a sequel. Well, Kevin Williamson did write an outline for a treatment for the second movie, and I think maybe the third movie too. He pitched it along with the first script. Okay, well maybe then. Yeah. Um, so maybe he did plan that out. And he's like, okay, if this does well, you're gonna be a major part. He he's not even like that's the thing. Like he's you know not really in the third one, but he's like. Not in huge parts of the second one, too, so... I mean, I no. guess he wasn't as big as he is now, so... He was in a pretty big part of the second movie. Um, we won't go into it, but, but uh, yeah, but he does play a pretty big role in that. 
I feel like he's not like in large amounts, I should say, but whatever. Um, no, yeah, it's great. And it's just like, yeah, the first time I saw him, I'm like, is that Leaf Shriver? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Because I, like, like I said, I'd seen the mm-hmm. second one first, so like, I knew he was in them. Like, wait, 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 he's in this one too? Yeah, it's just, it's part of the, the backstory of the setup of, of Sydney's mother. And then th- it's this scene here where it really kind of gets, uh, gets Sydney thinking about, uh, Cotton her- potentially being in it. So. Yes, and, and her mother. And, th- and then it relates more to just her arc in the movie. I think Kevin Williamson put it best in the commentary that I thought was very interesting where he said that if Sydney just would come to terms with the truth about her mother, she would know who the killer was. And I thought that was very interesting because that's how the movie's kind of constructed because she's in denial about who her mother was that, you know, she was having an affair and everything and, and, you know, having sex with a lot of men. And so if, if, if she figured that out or if she came to terms with that, she would know, Oh, well this guy, this boyfriend who's trying to get in my pants. Oh, his mother left left him oh maybe there's something going oh maybe he's the one trying to kill me so it's kind of interesting how it goes back to that it, yeah. it's it's the idea of it's like screenwriting 101 it's like the character's inner truth you mean scream writing <laughs> um no yeah I, I never thought about it like that i mean i don't know if i would then logically go my boyfriend's the killer but you no know, it is a very much like yeah she's trying to come to terms that her mom wasn't exactly a great person you know she was sleeping around with a bunch of married men ruining at least one marriage. We don't know how many others uh, were out there. You know, I'm glad when they get into Stu's motive, he wasn't also like, I just, he ruined my mother's life too. And all that, that like, you know, that was clever, but um, yeah, no, I mean, even though we've seen Gail being a bitch throughout this entire time, it's like, you have your suspicions. Of, like, okay. She actually might have something right here. That's yeah. not just sleazy. Yep. She's actually a pretty good journalist. Yeah. Sorry, I mangled your face. Great line. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, this, this maybe this is like the midpoint of the movie. This is where it really changes the direction of things, where you know these two mur- these two killings are are tied together. Cindy starts to, you know, think about her mother in a different way, and then Gail kind of goes after it in this way. Also, this is a great moment where you've gotten the brief crack, and you're like, oh, she actually is a good journalist. She's trying to do a good story, and then like. She's like, we need to get proof. And they're like, do you know what this is going to do for my book sales? Like, ah, there yeah. it is. That's why we love her, too. Um, yeah, she, she had great charisma. Um, she would have made a great Lois Lane. Oh, yeah. Like, perfect Lois Lane. Like, this pretty much is, like, a bitchier Lois Lane. <laughs> <sighs> I never knew anyone who decorated their locker like that. Like, is, was that a movie thing, or did, like, I just not have friends? Is uh, that my big thing? I... I don't remember, I, and I, I, I don't call. I shit in my locker, and other people did. But well, I like, hope so. Yeah, no, but I did, like, people <laughs> had stuff in their lockers, but, like, I never saw anyone to that level having dioramas. That's always just, like, a very 90s movie thing to me. But, um, well, it, it gives character. That, no, that's the sure. thing. That's um, the important thing. I do have to say, there was a pop-up restaurant in L.A. that was themed to Saved by the Bell, and they had, like, a bunch of lockers that were representing all the characters, and my favorite thing was... Um, Jesse had a bunch of pill bottles and her thing referencing that famous episode where she like gets hooked on caffeine pills. And that's my favorite detail of that restaurant that no longer exists. Hmm. But anyway, Skeet Ulrich. Yeah, no, he's, he's great here. And again, 
like I said, I don't know. Um, looking back, my I mean, I guess my friend did like not accurately think it was him or not. Um, but it's like, yeah, part of this is like I think it's telegraphing a little much, and I get like it's playing with her head a little bit more. But um, I, I don't know if he's so much. I mean, I know it's in the directing, but in terms of the character and the intent, um, it, I think he's playing this. I mean, obviously he's lying, but he's he's still playing it earnestly. But he's just being a selfish prick, yeah. because he this is his way of trying to manipulate her and everything. Because him saying this, oh, it's time he got over that. That's like kind of the beginning plans of of him, of getting into her head and her lowering her defenses yeah. and saying, yeah, I, I, you're right, I should just get over it. And that's what leads her to having sex with him. Which, with their movie nature, that leads into the you're no longer a virgin, you're not innocent. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just like saying like. I get like why Billy's doing this here. I'm just like saying for like the movie audience, I wonder like how many people were oh. a little too suspicious of him. I, though again, it goes I guess into that was supposed to be then a startling moment later on in the movie when you think he was killed. But, yeah, um, well, he, well, that's and even then there he does stupid. It's like that's for no one except for the audience. Um, oh yeah, and here's Henry Wrinkler's other moment of potentially being the you know red herring where he's like threatening kids with scissors which he would be fucking sued the ever-loving shit out of now um and then people point out like when he touches sydney's chin mm. in that scene that's like a creepy thing i don't know um if that was intentional or not that this is now we're trying to read 2021 um levels into like hey teachers shouldn't touch their students versus this is now 25 years ago level of like hey that wasn't as frowned upon this is uh different circumstance like where it's like hey a couple of your classmates were just butchered and your mom had just been butchered i'm not like you know are you okay kid type thing but um it, it, if it's not on purpose it does inadvertently work um yeah I, I think it does either way obviously they're supposed to set him up as like a red herring but yeah. and it's good for conflict too to show well and like i said I'm not he's sure got an edge to him and I, I, I guess i wasn't sure like if that i i think this scissors moment here was intentional red herring but i have always wondered where people looking too deeply into the touching her chin level and that's yeah. inadvertent um yeah pre post covid this is horrifying to me none of these women are washing their hands here i think the one of the purple is but the cheerleader just came out of the toilet and just put a bunch of lipstick on and sucked her finger that is fucking horrifying that's how you get covid kids and this is just another scene uh getting in this sydney's head reinforcing that idea of who her mother was. Yeah. I think they wanted to cut the scene out. No, yeah, I've heard that too. And it's like, you can't. Like, it's really, like, yeah. important. It, she needs that other voice, like, that that more objective yeah. uh, sort, sort of voice to, to say that instead of her boy. Because like, when Billy says stupid to himself, he I think he actually means that word. He's actually, at that point, trying to manipulate her, but it's not the time or the place to do yeah. it, so he fucks it up. I've also, two things, um, a, a shittier horror movie that didn't have respect for the characters would have made that Tatum, I think. Oh, jeez. No, like, I, you look at a lot of shitty horror movies now where everyone's really unlikable. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it's like no disrespect to, like, Rob Zombie. Like, you look at the Halloween movies where everyone's just super unlikable. That, like, that, if it was done in that style, like, that 100% would have been Tatum, and that would have been, like, a rift. And I suppose mm. you can say that would have been a red herring. I've also heard people say that this couldn't be Billy or Stu no. in here. I've thought of that, too. I, I think it's one of those pranksters. Yeah, I mean, I, I go back and forth that this might be the one time where it's like they um, fucked up level of continuity. 
because um, it legitimately cannot be Billy because she left and presumably has just gone into the bathroom. So how the yeah. fuck would he have gotten there? I don't know. I it, I think yeah, this by this one could potentially be pranksters, but I don't know. Like why would they put that in with no reveal to well, it? Well, doesn't it say a newscaster say talk about the pranksters or something right when she's running out? I I think it comes up potentially but i don't know i mean it's weird that we got the reveal of the other two guys um mm. but it... you know and then there's a nice touch that they do with um at least scream too i don't know if they do with the rest but having everyone wear the same blue jeans and black boots um they do in the third movie they too. do in the third one too okay yeah. um good touch there to like you can't even uh, okay yeah you're right um they do say it um i don't know again i it could go either way with me on that one I I think it's pranksters. It's it's just one of them we haven't seen. It's just it going around the school and that, that they didn't have the knife. Yeah. And there's no way Billy or Stu could have gotten in that. I mean, it could have been Stu in theory. Well, well, the girls were in the bathroom and he was like on the opposite side of the the hallway there. There's no way he could have snuck in. Oh yeah, he wouldn't have known. She would have went in. Okay, yeah, never mind. Yeah, I think that was a prank. But well, then then how would who regardless how would this person have known it was Sydney? But regardless, yeah, um, it's, it's it's kind of movie logic yeah. too. Um, but no, this is a great moment between the two of them, kind of setting up the will. Oh, he's twenty five. Fuck, yeah. he's even younger than me. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember him doing that. I was blank, you know, for a whole year or whatever. Um, I thought it was twenty five. Um, no, it's like this is a great moment here, and I go back and forth on a lot of the relationship stuff with um. Dewey and Gale in the sequels. I think part two did it best. I've not, you know, part three, um, no, not a huge fan part four, but like, th- this is very good here. Like the flirting between two attractive people and, you know, he's kind of starstruck a little bit and all that, you know, and you wonder, is she just using him to get the story? And it's mm-hmm. like, nah, it seems pretty genuine. Eventually they get to the point where these two aren't the killers and they actually do, like each other yeah yeah i just in the first two movies they're just firing on all cylinders yeah. and because in this one there's it's more like a flirtation in the second one it act it's like empire strikes back where they actually dig into the relationship between them and yeah. you deconstruct gail more in that one yeah. she's like a great character arc but anyway and, not, and also not to get too into their real life thing like i think by latter half of the series it's like yeah you, you guys are your marriage, I think by part four, they were already divorced, and part three, I think their marriage was slowly starting. It's like, okay, may- maybe you're you're not feeling the chemistry anymore because the <laughs> drama, you know, at home. Yeah, so who knows how it's going to be in the fifth movie. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, just... It's, it's just going to turn into who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. They're just sniping at each other. Like, Ghostface is like, guys, guys, I know I'm a killer. But this marriage has been all, has been dead for <laughs> but, years. But I do love how, except with the exception of the third film, how the re- the relationship doesn't like in the fourth one they are married. She's settled in the Woodsboro. He's sheriff. Like it's it's not like the third one where they went back. They went backwards, and it was just repeating the second one. Yeah. Um, but regardless, but um, with this, um, yeah, it's kind of amazing. We're what like fifty minutes and not even an hour, and we're already getting into like the uh, oh, I was. Spot on there. <laughs> 50 minutes and 49 seconds. Yeah, so we're like, uh, so the, most of the movie, I think like the last 45 minutes take place at Stu's house. And it's just kind of, this movie's just so well structured and just yeah. so well paced. It just, it's, it's... Yeah, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, we're only like, what, four, <laughs> like 35 minutes into the movie or whatever. It's like, oh, no. Um, I love Stu's little thing there because it's like, oh, yeah, I got them now. Yeah. 
And it just, again, plays into Matthew Lillard's a goofball thing well, that, like, again, like, it, it truly is a good whodunit thing. Like, you ever, like, that's thing I've never really noticed that, but it's like every time you rewatch it, you notice something else in their body language or when they're trying to set up someone else, you know, potentially been the killer and all that. Um, also, coming up, best director's cameo of all time, question no. mark. Uh, I just watched Body Bags last night. There's a lot of there's a Wes Craven cameo in that. There's a Sam Raimi cameo. Know, they actually directed. So I mean, John oh, Carpenter, oh, John Carpenter and Toby Hooper count as director cameos in that. But uh, okay, yes. Um, but I was speaking about masking killers. We're recording this the day the supposed Zodiac killer was announced. So very fortuitous of us. Yeah, that's still unconfirmed yet. I'm just saying to contextualize the date this was recorded. Not you, Fred. You prick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never knows that until we had the captions on. <laughs> I think it's because I'm always chuckling to myself during that. Um, yeah, so this this scene was inserted because Bob Weinstein was like, there's 30 minutes and no one's died yet. So, so it, it, in the hands of a, like a... If this was like a bad script, this would have been a very random and pointless death. But it actually does come into play later because it gets all the teenagers out of the house um, to isolate Sydney. Yeah. So it was just honestly that was like a happy accident. Yeah, because um, again, like what you know, like this goes back to my whole them framing Sydney's dad makes no sense in some of the kills. But like, okay, even though he wouldn't have an axe to grind with Mister Himbley necessarily. He does, ha- and I don't remember because it was on the fucking door. Himbley? Uh, him- oh, I thought it was Himbley. Um, but regardless mm-hmm. that, yeah, it works. It's like they're not just randomly killing the principal because they don't like it. Like, okay, we got to get the kids out of the house, so we do it like this. So it works on, like you said, you know, had this been in the lesser hands, film or filmmakers of lesser hands or whatever. Jesus, I just had a stroke. The hands of lesser filmmakers, it wouldn't have worked, but it works on both levels of they don't like their principal. It makes sense. And two, they're planning, you know, they're playing 4D chess or whatever that they know, okay, we got to lure the kids out of the house at some point. We really can't get caught. <laughs> this We have to pull this off. We can't. Not I one mean, they are incredibly move. fucking lucky. Like, you look at the killers in the rest of the movies, they're lucky. But damn, these two guys are freaking running all over town constantly. <laughs> like, I've heard some people say here, like, the ghost face in the bushes also couldn't have been either one of them because it's like, Aren't they like at the video store at this point? It's like, man, yeah, we don't know how long are in between mm. each scene. Yeah, so so this scene is like very important too because this is where Sydney actually, even though it was set up before with with the Gale scene, here Sydney actually starts to think that, that she starts to believe in the truth about her mother and why she goes to the party and everything, and it's all it's all very well executed. Yeah, it just, it's just you stuff don't, you don't notice. Yeah. With a great movie, but until you... I mean, I've seen this movie like a billion times, yeah. so I, I, I start to analyze these things. Well, and also, again, this could also work into, like, you know, um, you know, is Tatum the killer? Because, like, she's trying to plant seeds of doubt in her mind, or, like, and all that. Mm. Again, you can say, fucking with her. Um, oh, God, don't you miss the video store? I do. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, or today. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but it involved running Ninja Turtles for the first time, and the mishap there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's... I love streaming, but, like, yeah, like, the idea of being able to go to a fucking kooky store like this, even Blockbuster with how uniform they were, just fun. Yeah. I wanted to get a job at Blockbuster when I was in a sophomore in high school, and that's, like, when they were closing down. I'm like, I can get a job there, and it's like, good <laughs> thing I didn't switch jobs. 
<laughs> that's great. Oh, that's poor taste in the bloodbath section. Again, you're right. <laughs> He's spot on about yeah. that one. Well, this is it's just great. Um, they should have done that in like the second one with him being like, I was right both times last time. Listen to me this time. Yes. Yeah, this scene could not be more 90s if like you tried. Like, Just look at Matthew Lillard's outfit. like The loud shirt, the fucking Walkman headphones. They're in a movie store. It's great. Yeah. That's a great one. I love the reaction of the girl behind him. Yeah. Now the, the direction's perfect in this scene. And this, you know, this sets up, you know, Randy potentially as being the movie-obsessed guy who would know all these horror movies and mm-hmm. having a thing for Sid. Well, plus you also need, you know, script-wise, you need, the movie kind of needs to keep track of everything and what's kind of what's going on to kind of lay things out to put it in perspective, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, this is, like, the best, like, use of, like, laying pipe to use the term. Yeah, well, because obviously it, it would be Randy, the guy to be thinking about. Like, Sydney is... She's uh she's more busy thinking about her mother right now, so you need that more. You still need An that outsider voice. Yeah, who has not been affected. Like, yeah, two of your classmates have been butchered, but like, you're not close to them, so you're a little bit more rational thinking. But or maybe not rational if you're doing this. Yeah, like everybody's a suspect. <laughs> if that wasn't in the trailer, it should have been. It probably it probably was. Yeah, I just love Matthew Lillard. Well, like, he's like he's, smoking pot. It's okay. It should be quiet. Matthew Lillard's terrific because that's a character. Because I think Ken Williamson even said like on the page, you know, he wasn't. He, he's not the deepest character, Stu. If you really like break it down, but I think Matthew Lillard brings so much to it because he he improved a lot of things. So it's just a testament to to him as an actor because like all this I think is just probably Matthew Lillard. Yeah, just yeah. if it, yeah, in the hands of like a lesser actor, it would have been more straightforward but he's so memorable in this movie <laughs> no and th- that that's like i would love to like see like him and more stuff like you know good on him for making like being like the successor to fucking you know casey Kasem work for him you know being shaggy but like he's actually in a really good episode of um law and order with um carol burnett as the other guest star and the fact that like he could go like toe-to-toe being the guest star with carol burnett and do like a pretty good job in it like is a testament to him yeah it's i wish he was in more th- he's great in twin peaks the return yeah, he was in um, catch fire for a while as, oh like, okay out, like 80s businessman oh that's great yeah um and then here's the nick cave song again where it really yeah. comes into but yeah just Perfect song for just the tone of the movie. It's 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 spooky and it's irreverent. It's just, yeah. it just and the, this is also just great. Like yeah, like the town is like you know slowly going like oh shit, like yeah, shit's getting like serious now. Um, yeah, which again I feel like a lot of people would be like the time of like ah oh, that's not too realistic. But like again, post nine eleven, post my world's like you know this is pretty realistic. That's like oh there's a serial killer on the loose. Okay, we're all shutting down early huh. for our small sleepy town that again probably doesn't have any real crime outside of this. Like I'm trying yeah. to imagine like what my sleepy little town would do if there were a murderer on the loose. And it's probably this. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like um in Halloween four when the, you just get a bunch of drunk <laughs> next going around and they shoot, shoot the wrong guy. <laughs> I hope in the Halloween Kills, because again, we're doing this before that has come out. I really hope they do a moment like that. And it's just like, it's just like a reference where it's like, we can have the rednecks go around. It's like, no, you're going to shoot somebody in the park. Do it. Um, yep. And here's just another scene of Sydney kind of falling, you know, playing into Billy's hands here by now empathizing with 
with him. It's just classic. It's like it's like real abuse logic too, oh, and everything. Yeah. How he's just gotten into into her head, and she's now trying to rationalize on his behalf. It's gaslighting the movie, basically. Yeah, I mean, th- this truly is like if you like take the meta references out, set this in like a fucking Victorian mansion in the eighteen hundreds and all that. This could have been an Agatha Christie oh, plot. Well, Scream Two, I think, is more in terms of just like the setting it has a lot has a lot to do with Agatha Christie. Like it's, it just takes place at like a university and that's it. But, um, this is a great scene. Just really great acting and directing here where you have both taking the hits off their respective, uh, Vice. vices. <laughs> at the same time. And again, it just like underscores Dewey's an idiot. Like he, he lost to Dan, like his sister to go get a fucking ice cream cone. I love the music cues too. It's like this. It's like this detective sort of ding. Yeah, no. I mean, I I think they're trying to do like a John Saxton type thing with yeah. him in this. And it's a shame we didn't get to see more of him. Um, I mean, I don't know where you would have put it in without like shoehorning it, but that's great. And yeah, you pointed out to me. I never noticed. It's like, oh yeah, that shot is there because it's like he's wearing the same shoes. I never noticed mm-hmm. that before. Yep. I think when I first saw this movie, I thought Cindy's father was the killer. It's been so long, I can't legitimately remember who I thought was the killer in this. Yeah. I mean, I knew, like, having seen part two, that it was definitely um, Randy was not a killer. And I think the, like, surviving cast members weren't, but it's like, you know, the other people, like, who could it fucking be? That's one of the best things about Scream 2. I and mean, we'll go into that more. And, but, yeah. um, but that Scream 2 is great because it's Billy and Stu are dead, and, but there's now there's ghost, ghost faces back and. Yeah, no, what could they possibly want with Sydney and why? And that becomes like the, this like infuriating question over the course of the movie where it's like, what 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 does this have to do with Sydney? And, yeah. you know, but no, but I mean, it, again, and then that's the thing I respect with the film series, even though it would have been great to see Matthew Lillard playing kind of like a Hannibal Lecter type villain in part three, which me and Jake have spent numerous nights fucking trying to plot out a better scream three with him in it, um, which isn't too difficult. <laughs> um, to be fair but um yeah no i do respect that's like oh the the killer is alive the killer is a zombie it's like no they're gone they're gone it's just new people who wear the same costume and ever trying yeah. to continue fucking with sydney's mind by using the same costume over and over yeah. again. like that's this franchise shouldn't be called scream it should be called gaslighting nev campbell oh. Um, oh another great thing too i want to remark that doesn't really get mention is the usage of music across all four movies I, I think Wes Craven is just a really great ear for it especially capturing just kind of the like the youth of, of it have you yeah. noticed the music across these movies just how not now because it's silent well I know but just <laughs> no, in, in no, general yeah. it's it's really because again like a hack director would have chosen like really trite like Psycho top killer t- well or like top 20 pop music and everything instead they use like some really really interesting music it, it feels songs that most people don't know off the top of their head yeah but it still feels like it would like a teenager would listen to it you know what i mean well and that's the thing and um you know i we talk about this link below when um matt and ben rock and me did like the commentary for blair witch 2 we talk about like how great the score is and that but it's very like punk rocky more of the era and it does work great and like blair witch project one they did like a soundtrack for it. It's not in the movie. It was just like a marketing gimmick where it was supposedly Josh's mixtape or whatever. And it's like all great music of the era, but like it doesn't really get you into the mood for those movies. It doesn't feel really natural as much versus mm-hmm. yeah, this. Um, and I think, again, that goes back to like Kevin Williamson's writing. This isn't like 
you know, like someone who grew up in, you know, the the time 50s and 60s being like, oh, you know, we're making Gilligan's Island references. We're doing X, Y, and Z. You know, like shit. It's like they feel very contemporaneous teens who are, you know, you know, making references and saying shit that teens in the late 90s would have said. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now we're in this Mocker. How do you pronounce his last name? Mocker. Mocker. Household for the rest of the um, movie. It's great. Uh, I love the fact that, like, Sue has like a silk bathrobe. I go back and forth whether he took his dad's bathrobe. It's his or dad's bathrobe. I, I think it's his dad's. Stu also feels like the type of quirky, like hipster type that would have um, worn this. But yeah, no, I mean, again, not to be like too Debbie Downer, but like they inadvertently got like the profile of what like a school shoe would be like. When I watch this movie, especially with Stu, I'm like, yeah, he like kind of blends in like with like Cleveland and Harris, like when you see like shit with them. So like they inadvertently got like the outsider murder team, like spot on. And it's very unsettling. Yeah. Again, well, then Matthew uh, Lillard is great. Yeah. Well, we'll get more into it in a bit though. With the performances and the direction. Um, yeah. The famous, now we're in the famous um, Rose McGowan scene um, with the um, garage door, which um, apparently, like, through various um, people going there, I guess the garage door actually does have a cat door in it. I've always wondered, was that in there? Like, fuck, we got to write, add that in there? Or um, did they put that in in 1996 and the owners have never changed it? And I, I, I kind of want to go for the latter. I think it was written in. Yeah. Um, no, it's great. And again, you know, this goes, if, like, you wonder, like, how the fuck could it be one killer? But, like, it works out that it's like, okay, Stu slips in here and then Billy shuts the door vice versa whoever it is no i think this is billy i think skeeto org actually confirmed it okay yeah it well it makes sense e- either either way that you know one killer closes the door as the other one's already hit in there yeah i uh because in the next scene billy comes in and he gives well well when we get yeah. to it we'll look but th- this is billy i know that okay um regardless but you know it's a great scene you know rose mcgallan gives a great performance here um very great choreographed scene and then yeah, one of the few non-stabbing um, deaths in this franchise, right? It's, it's the death you feel really bad for because you really like Tatum. Yeah. Th- that's what I love about these movies because the stupid part of my brain kind of enjoys the Friday the 13th movies to a certain extent. I, like, I, I don't like them and I like them, but I, I just don't like horror movies where they're just expendable and they're, and they're just engineered to, to just be killed off and they're, so they're unlikable. But in these movies, you like all the characters. Like, they're not intentionally written to you know for the for you to be pissed off at them and for you to dislike them you actually do yeah, like them and care about them like that the... like when kenny coming up gets killed, like you feel bad for this poor guy yeah but and that's the thing was like even though this movie has a, like a low body count not counting the killers and not counting maureen who was killed you know prior to this there's only five deaths in this movie that's like pretty low like when you look at some of the friday the 13ths and halloweens and nightmares and elm streets's um it's like there's tons of deaths it's like it's the perfect number where it's like yeah you feel bad for these people i mean even even feel bad for principal fonzie a little bit yeah it's henry winkler like it's again it's just part of that great casting uh, where um no yeah and it's you know it's great where she's playing along with him like again she (laughs) even she gets to have meta in this it's not just randy making all the movie references you know we talked over a little earlier where you know dewey's like i always saw you as a young meg ryan it's like you know they're all savvy movie watchers Mm -hmm. um yeah i love the fact that rose mcgowan actually found that she could actually fit through the cat door (laughs) so like they had to make it look a little bit tighter than it was 
Yeah, no, I was racking my brains here talking. You know, this is obviously the only non-stab kill in this one, but, like, there's only a handful in the um, rest of the series. Oh, I guess Billy does die by bullet, technically. He would have bled out, and Stu dies by TV. Okay, forget what I said. There's a lot of non-stabbing deaths, I guess, in this movie in retrospect. <laughs> um, but, no, it's very creative, at the very least. Yeah, um, I love this. I love how he moves. It's like... great great movement from the stuntman whoever it was yeah Yeah, so this this is great too here uh, yeah i guess since he's not soaking wet it has it can't be though why does it smell like beer though see now look see see, that was intentional that was like okay it's all going according to plan tatum's dead like Wes craven even confirmed that okay well i like you know he like it's like, hey, you could go up to my parents' room. And it's like, at the time, yeah. you think it's a very bro move. Yeah. Okay, try and help out. But it's like, yeah, no, it's like you're keeping the plan going to the next level. It's just great, though, because they still feel like friends. It's just the chemistry is great between them. They just, yeah. <laughs> I know there's like a, a, a cut, cut scene from the script. I don't know if it was filmed between Billy and Stu right after the video store where they're like just alone, like walking down the street. And I think. Billy tells Stu that Sydney's going to come to the party, and it's, and it's very much you know without hindsight, like like you said, like a bro moment. But yeah. uh, so I don't know if it was filmed or not. I would really like to just, see if it was. Uh, yeah, I just, he's he's just great. I I just love the again the dialogue. Oh really, Alicia? <laughs> it just it makes me laugh each yeah, time. Uh, and, yeah, and it's great. You know, like with Randy, being like, oh, I'm going to go check him because again, another red herring. Mm-hmm. But like you know, you got the incel guy. Yeah, I said it. Uh, you know, being like, oh, the girl I have a crush on, and then he's like, okay, they're going out there. I guess this is actually happening, and then fucking go somewhere else in the party. Um, yeah, the fucking tape delay is such a great fucking moment in this. Like, it's such yeah. a great plot device that like really gets you like you forget about it. Like they set it up here, obviously, and then you fucking forget about it. But they do show it, like you know, when um later on you do see randy walk up to the phone and like on it and i'd actually forgot about the first time i saw him like why did he go up to the phone again so mm-hmm. they set it up very subtly at least yep yeah see again he's just manipulating her yeah he, he does it by trying to pretend he's the one in the it's just it's just really good writing just yeah, no. Very carefully planned and everything. And and even though I do enjoy the villains for the most part from the sequels, I think, like, you know, Billy is, like, the best one. Like, you know, I mean, Stu is obviously great, but it's, like, the, like, Machiavellian-level fuckery he does with her head here. Yes. Because, I mean, again, not to get into the sequels, but, like, when you get down to the other killer's plans, it's, like, they're not really interacting with Sydney that much. It's just like Sydney's like she's heavily involved in their plans, but like not to the level where it's actually like, well, yeah, I mean, involved. involved Well, yeah, it's different here because Sydney's arc is very different too. And it relates back to her mother and Billy is using that. It all kind of goes back to the plan and and everything. the, The killers in part two and three, like don't really interact with her at all. Like, that was a joke we have rewatching part three. That's an issue. Be like, who are you? Oh, yeah. And the third. Well, actually, well, let's not go into the, yeah, those but, things. But like. regardless, that it's just like that. It's uh, this is the most personal one, um, even though the other ones are supposed to be personal. Like, it's nice that she gets to share these moments. Um, yeah. And I mean, it just it does feel I again, like pretty natural is that he's the fucking horny fucking like 18 year old that wants to like, get in nev campbell's pants you know it's like okay hey you know 
you feel like that could be a very real thing. And then, yeah, he's just kind of an asshole who doesn't know how to sympathize like a lot of high school kids would. Mm-hmm. Well, here, if you're watching it for the first time, you you probably start to think, okay, maybe he's okay. No, oh, yeah. I mean, that Because now that she's opened up to him, you can open up to him. But in hindsight, it turned out to be wrong. And again, that just plays into like the arc of it where it's it's she she thinks she knows what she wants. But she doesn't yet. Yeah, so, but, um, yeah, also, again, a great, you know, movie reference for her. It's like, you know, or a great porno, you know, um, yeah, like, I don't know, like a, a shittier movie would have had them all be making tons and tons of pop culture references, mm. but it's yeah. sprinkled in here enough. Like, Randy's obviously the heaviest influence and like it dribbles down as it goes along the way. Yeah, like it, it would have been very superficial in the hands of like a lesser, and, and they you get that in Scream 3, but. Outside of that, even it, it, it would have been almost like parody. But here, it's all very baked in very well because it's it was all planned very. Yeah. Again, it's all constructed like a mystery. So Kevin Williamson just had to think, okay, who's the killer? What do they want? How does that tie to like the story and everything? And it, and you just you build it theme, from there. Yeah. yeah, and the theme, and so yeah. it's and all carefully constructed. And then obviously here we're at the greatest fucking uh, like mm. you know meta scene I think ever. Um, take that Deadpool, but like, you know, explaining the fucking rules, it's so great. Like, you now know, like, you're in a world, like I said earlier, where um, people talk about where there were horror movie references in other horror movies. You know, wa- you know, characters are watching Nightmare on Elm Street, characters ha- are watching Evil Dead and all that, but mm-hmm. like, to the level that, like, they are such consumers of the pop culture that this is a very real thing. Like, as a film nerd, I know I fucking explain this shit to people. You know, even before I saw Stream, like, my limited knowledge of horror movies and shit. Like, I, I've done this with war movies where I'm like, oh, God, the guy's talking about his family. It's like, what? Oh, he's dead. Like, he's talking about his family. Like, I, I do this with families when I – my family and friends when I see cliches and other types of movies. So it feels very natural for Randy to be the movie guy explaining horror movie tropes. And as they then find out, oh, fuck, we're in a horror movie right now. Mm-hmm. This may have been the scene that – the actors for Randy had to audition for with. I vaguely recall that too. Um, I look, I'll be right back. <laughs> like, none of them are clearly taking him seriously. And again, you know, that's the thing with the sequels. Again, you know, trying not to get into too much, but like it does it very well here where it's like he's not trying to explain, oh my God, guys, follow these steps right now or else we're all going to die in this house tonight. The sequels kind of got into this. He's just like doing a meta thing where. Or it's meta for us as the audience that they're explaining the rules of a horror movie that they'll live through. But, like, he's just, like, being like, no, here's the rules of a horror movie and all that. I'm just going to be the movie guy. Pause the movie right now at a tense moment. I'm going to explain this to you now. And it works. Mm-hmm. Again, I just love how doofy Dewey is. He's, he has no problem with, like, this news van just being parked outside like uh, like i get it they're on public property probably technically given the fact that there's a fence everybody's not like mm-hmm. hey this is weird why are you fucking here by the way i'm here because i'm like one of the three deputies in this town apparently no he's the deputy of this town yeah. he even says yeah. i'm the deputy of this town man <laughs> um that's great like doing the cheesy like oh you scared mm-hmm. moment with the flashlight this is great i feel like i've done that like hitting on women like i fuck up like with a lead-in moment like that oh have you that's a good idea yeah 
Now, my ex, that happened several times in the courting phase of the relationship, so it was hilarious. Um, man, their foreplay is, like, really long. It's been, like, what, five minutes? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's, like, the joke people make. That's, like, man, like the time, the framing of the time in um, this sequence, the la- latter third of the movie doesn't make that much sense that Halloween is either the shortest or longest movie, depending on what part we're in. And it's, like, it just shows you that, like, it's such a good movie that when you're watching it initially, you don't notice. I'm only now noticing this now, not time number 30, watching it, that Bob in Halloween was killed when Randy pauses the movie. And then that's 30 seconds later in the movie. But we've had two separate scenes before they yeah, got back I mean, to it. It's... Um, but no, I'm like just like saying, it's like, <laughs> even though technically speaking, it's a continuity error with shit but it like you know it's so well crafted that you don't realize it on the first viewing or the second viewing up until like i think it was like the 15th time i watched the movie or something yeah i'm like oh wait this doesn't actually i it might have even been college before like when i finally like watched halloween and this like back to back like i'm like i'm gonna do my two slasher movie favorite slasher movies for our halloween party and we had halloween on and then this because i didn't want to spoil halloween with these moments and i'm like oh fuck this actually doesn't line up yeah, and well, in terms of just how it's done, it's just movie timing. It's, it's a little yeah. fudge, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, uh, so I'm just like saying. No, I, I know what you mean, though. It's um, And then, yeah, we now, the principal's dead, and it's like, okay, it gets everyone out of the house. Um, yeah, I just love Kenny just fucking sitting there. He's like, ah, oh, this is an easy night. Little is this poor fucker know. I like how he's on a, his second bag of chips. <laughs> he's low. I love the cameraman in, like, the first two oh, movies. Oh, I... <laughs> I love Joel in the second one. <laughs> well, okay, we won't go into I, it. But... It, <laughs> but... It's, just, it's just a we could, I think we could say it's a funny line when he's like, "Nope, I'm out," and then <laughs> leaves the movie. Um, yeah, that it's meta shit like that. I'm fine with when it's a very funny line like that, but whatever. But um, yeah, no, th- I mean, this is just a nice moment between two people who would grow to fucking hate each other and have to end their marriage and divide their assets. So they got divorced? Yeah, I, I don't think they hate each other. I mean, because I've seen clips of his David Arquette cannot be killed documentary about him. He's a wrestler. Did you know that? Oh, huh. Yeah, he got into wrestling in the early 2000s, and he claims that hurt his career. I don't know about that. Um, but uh, it might have been other decisions, David. Uh, but, you know, and they show in the trailer, it's like he's like trying to lose weight, trying to get back into wrestling shape, and, like, he's talking with Courtney R. Cox at one point, so... I guess they're amicable, at least. I think it could have been the thing where it's like, yeah, you know, we're not as close anymore. Let's leave on good terms before we hate each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, must be. I think they were divorced by the time the fourth one came out. Yeah, I don't know. They were still together when the third one was because, I mean, Friends was still on the air, so she was going by Courtney Cox Arquette still at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just He's just, like, trying to hit on her so much. And, like It's like, no, 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 the plot, the plot. It's very sweet and earnest. That's... Yeah. Listen, I just assumed Dewey's a 25-year-old virgin. <laughs> he could be. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No, <laughs> no but, um, yeah, like, oh, shit, his car is here. Um, I don't know if you could drive. I feel like you had to put that, you had to, like, roll that car downhill, never getting it out without a crane, but whatever. But, um, yeah, and this is a great moment where, like, Sydney's back on oh team Billy's innocent but she still has like that nagging thing in the back of her head yeah because that's like 
that's like kind of the point to her character. It's that lingering thing of, yeah. oh, if I just could figure this, it's there. Like the truth yeah. is there in, in the back of her head. She just, yeah. and it's kind of nagging at her here with this just this little piece of logic. Yeah. Because yeah, she says here, and it, that was a scene we didn't see. So in a like lesser movie, would have been like, "Oh, you're telling us about things we didn't see. That's stupid." But you know, it works here. Yeah. You know, like between their deliveries, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you know Billy's logic is so yeah, I didn't get an answer though. And no. I mean, realistically, if you're expecting it to be Billy, like it could he couldn't have fucking made that. Like how would he have changed his voice in the like or had the modulator in a room full of cops? Like he couldn't have done it, but like it's a thing where it's like in the back of her mind and it works still, even though as we find out he is the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but this is a great moment here, and like again, my friend who had never seen the fucking movie before was just like <gasps> like freaking the fuck out here <laughs> when this happened because I think she started having suspicions. That goes back to my thing where it's like. He's fucking with her mind to the point that, like, it, it's potentially leading the audience to suspect him. But then here, it's, yeah, it's so, men, it just. I think so. I think that works on, you know, like I said, both levels of it's fucking with the audience. The audience in Sydney think it's him, and then when they don't, and then like, oh shit, it actually isn't him. Yeah, well, it's it's great entertainment for the first viewing, but and then on the second time, it just kind of just it's a testament to how well yeah. constructed it all is because it all, all you know, all works as an entertainment mystery on first viewing, but then. You know, when you break it down, it's yeah. it's really solid. And then, and then this chase is great. I'm just like the wiping the blood off. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ghostface is very um, courteous that he's not going to give um, Sydney whatever STD that she probably caught from Billy. <laughs> and then, yeah, again, mu- much like the house in the first scene, it's like the layout of this house, which is a real house. Like they're doing like an anniversary thing coming up. So um, enter to win the contest. I know we are. <laughs> Um, to stay at the house, but it's like it's a real house, and it's like the layout of it's perfect. So props to the um, scout team for finding a house that worked with them, and then you know being able to you know have such a great look to the house and all that. That like it's a maze almost. You have no idea yeah. where the fuck she is. I, you know, it makes sense for Stu to know. Okay, I got to go here to get this way where you know she might not have been over to Stu's house often. Yeah, and perfect. That's why they're at his house because yeah. he he knows. I, I always saw field advantage. Yeah, and. I always thought this was a set. I thought this was yeah. like I, I I had no idea it was a, it was a location. Yeah. Again, props to the location team because this in the first house, like it made me think like, okay, this has to be like a house, or this has to be a set. Yeah, I mean, I I could still see why I would think it's it's a it's a set because back there it could be just the three quarter kind le- of angle. Yeah, l- less exposed and everything, but it, it's the illusion. But no, it's they're filming out out on a location here, and it's just really great yeah just north of san francisco mm-hmm. i'm just curious about kevin williamson uh wrote all this because if he didn't have the location and that that's uh, the thing I, I truly wonder like if like okay with the cat door did you have to change it or whatever or do you fucking add a cat door in to the house to fit it but it's like yeah i mean like okay i guess you could write sydney gets chased around the house or or, or casey looks out the window onto a patio yeah um, and then like that needs a clear shot from the patio to the front door, that's all you really need. And then, like, okay, we got the location. We can, you know, Wes Craven can come in now. It's like, okay, well, I have my basic. They get chased around the house. I can orchestrate it a little bit better. And then this is great. I mean, this oh, is... Oh, this is actually Skeet Ulrich in the... Oh, this one. In the outfit. That's the only time he's in it. He, he wanted to be in yeah. it. And then this is just a great moment. Like, obviously, the meta thing of him saying, Jamie, look behind you. His name is Jamie. But then just narratively speaking, he's just like, look behind you and doesn't realize it. It's great. It's... 
Well, yeah, going back to like what it was planned, I wouldn't be surprised if he just wrote it as is, and they just had to accommodate it with with the house. Yeah. Otherwise, it's becomes more of a pain in the I've ass. I've always wondered, also though, going with that, talk about changing stuff. Like, did they definitively have him say, "Jamie, look behind you," or did they just say, "Look behind you," and then they changed it to Jamie? Was like, this is funny. This guy's name is actually Jamie Kennedy. Maybe. I mean, I'll go back to and see the read the script to see. Yeah, I've always wondered that, and then yeah, the payoff of the tape delay. Yeah, yeah. Which Sue fucking had to run pretty goddamn quick. He went out the back door and got around in 30 seconds. That guy's fast, which makes sense. In a second, we see how sweaty he is when she runs into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, that was nice of Kenny to be, like, pointing, like, fucking close the door yeah. and then pointing to the thing to get in the, the front. You know, he po- subtly points to it. I didn't pick up on that the first few times. It's a, it's a good little detail. Kenny, man, he's the true hero. I was like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I want to know what the mockers do. Like, this is a fucking a big-ass property. I know. <laughs> they got a fucking barn? <laughs> They're the real criminals. Now, you know, like, they got this, like, you know, he, he was probably like a dot-com and, like, <laughs> so, like the bubble's going to burst in a couple years. Like, our son's dead and we've lost everything. <laughs> That's why Sue's like the killer in the third one. He's like, you caused my parents' home to be foreclosed. No, Sue, they invested all in the dot-coms. <laughs> uh, yeah, then this is great. Like the fucking um, Halloween theme playing like in the background. Like Again, it's just like I can't sing the movie's praises enough Like with this. Just like you take the movie references and all that and movie parts put into it and it works perfectly it's not too little that you're like okay like they actually know nothing about movies and too much it's like okay it's just references only it's the perfect balance Mm -hmm. and then yeah little did we know that um originally dewey was supposed to die here yeah i i think i it's a nice moment when you are revealed at the end that he's okay but um and I like him in the sequels, but I, I don't know how I feel about necessarily like the big brother. I mean, I guess it still works that the big brother figure has been taken out, at least incapacitated for the rest of the movie, that they're now truly on their fucking own. Like, you know, we make jokes of how incompetent Dewey is, but he's the man with the gun who has firearm training versus none of them do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth whether, you know, thinking in a vacuum would have been a better movie if Dewey died or not. It definitely I, would have been fucking super mean spirited to the um the Dewey family. Um I uh, I mean what's it, their it, last name? Dewey Riley. Riley. Okay. I I don't you think I've never seen this movie with how I can't remember anyone's name. It's mainly David Arquette's character name and his name. Yeah, I uh I think the movie would not have been as good if he died. I it's one of those like things where it's like Ian Malcolm surviving and Jurassic Park or a Gizmo and the Gremlins ending up because yeah. he was originally supposed to yeah. die and Spielberg is like, ah, oh, he's likable. Keep him around. I, I think those things do make a difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess Tatum I mean, is like the point of like, oh shit. Like now we're actually seeing a main character. Cause, you know, fucking Stu- uh, Steve had no lines. Casey, like, okay, you know, we got the first few minutes of the movie with her, but, um, everyone else has been minor characters. So I guess Casey was the, or uh, Tatum was the, first main character to die but like that could have also raised the stakes too like oh shit um and that's a problem i've had with the sequels again trying not to get too, too deep into like the preciousness with the mains but i guess at the time they didn't know about this being a franchise with them all being mains it's like okay you gotta have a few people survive mm-hmm. and i respect that's literally not just her at the end who survives so 
I guess, you know, there's my answer that, yeah, the movie is better. Um, I mean, yeah, because this is, like, an unsettling moment here. She's like, oh, thank God, and then, oh, knife in the back. Yep. Now shit's getting real. Yeah. And then pulling it out of his back, oh, it's horrifying. I wish they had done just, like, a little moment of, like, him kick a little bit, like, there to, like, make it a little bit more, like, subtly gruesome. Like, you, you don't even need to call attention to it. Like, it's just if you're not paying attention. But, okay, sarah, sarah. So I guess Kevin Williamson wrote this scene originally in his script when he was, like, a teenager or something, and he just transferred it to here. Oh, that's cool. I mean, yeah. I know um, they did that for the Avengers with... um black widow's like scene like when she's like tied to the chair and like is able to still kick everyone's ass like apparently josh whedon like wrote that like years before he thought that would be a great moment where like you think oh the helpless woman is tied up and then she beats the ever-loving shit out like a bunch of guys while tied to a chair oh interesting um no it's a great moment um i had to say the fucking woodsboro p uh police department fucking suck at um finding places because it's like how, how many minutes go by before they get these people up here? But, um... Yeah. Just saying. Response time sucks. They are... I, well, it is unclear how far they're out. It seems I, they're yeah, pretty isolated. I but, but I mean, again, movie the movie has... I, you I, can't you can't bring the police in, otherwise... No, to just, quote I'm, Hitchcock, I'm just, it gets I, dull. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah, but it, that's um, not important. Yeah. I would have just fixed it by saying we're at Sue Mocker's house and the... Um, dispatch person could be like where and she gets cut off well before. but they still need to come to the house though well th- that's a, well it's gonna take them then a little bit fucking longer to figure I, out it's like okay where the fuck does this mocker kid live but um yeah but no and this is why i ref- was referring to that fucking stew is soaking wet here so i guess that does make sense he's been running around drenched in fucking sweats a little nice little detail and then this is just great she doesn't know who to trust and you think like oh she's gotta make the decision she's like no fuck both of yeah you. <laughs> It's great. I mean, at this point, you're thinking more it's Stu because he just suddenly appeared. Yeah. And now here's, like, another great— Because also, like, the killer was behind, you know, you know J- Jamie's—or um, behind um, Randy. So, like, unless you think there's two killers, which, technically speaking, nothing in the movie has implied no. that necessarily yet. But that's okay because— so that's here, what, yeah, it, so Now, this assuming. twist is kind of distracting. You're like, oh, shit, Billy's alive. So you've now forgotten about Stu and Randy out there. No, well, and that's then great because you're like, oh, shit, it definitely can't be Billy. And then he shoots you know, Randy, and you're like, wait, what? And, like, you're confused, and then it's like, oh, two killers. Yeah, that's and, just— And that's an unfortunate thing with, you know, with the exception of Scream 3, all of them having multiple killers that we kind of forget that. But, like, that was pretty novel at the time. There weren't two Jasons. There weren't two Michael Myers. Yeah. There, well, unless you count the fucking Thorn cult in the sixth one of multiple killers. But, uh, no, I, I don't. But I mean, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It, it's just it's it's so obvious in hindsight because that's like the payoff to like a great mystery. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know because how else could they have pulled this off? Like one person could not have possibly have done this. Yeah. But I, it just makes so much sense in hindsight. You're like, oh yeah. yeah you you could have uh, kind of. I mean, obviously, someone couldn't have been Billy when he was actually stabbed. Like if he was found stabbed to death. He, you could have like done it like and all that but like that's really the only time where it's like not too big of a stretch i suppose but um yeah and this is what i was referencing with riverdale just have him say the goddamn line guys um yeah then Stu coming in here like initially like he looks horrified and like you think oh and then oh the voice changer great reveal and also i wonder how much of that was like 
did they have to put that in there to like be like oh people have to be like well, wait that doesn't sound like either of their voices like gotta mm. show the voice changer because these things are more commonplace now i don't know in 1996 how many people would have um no said of course i mean it's like the same thing with the cell phone it's like yo, know, of course that made him suspicious in 1996 <laughs> um yeah no this is great you know we get the the facade is gone for both of them Stu is batshit fucking insane yeah i'm glad here they they put in a motive because they they'd explore the option of not using it but you have to you have to have it if, if they didn't have a motive for billy it i it would not have been as strong because it it works it, it works for Stu, and that's yeah that's fine he's it, yeah. just the friend because he even says peer pressure and he's just he's just he's like a doofus you again, know it's yeah, like it, it makes sense he's just this goofy guy of course he'd go along with it because he's this yeah. impressionable kid yeah and again not to get too dark again but you know like with Columbine that's how it was it's like you had the one mastermind and then the guy who's like okay I'm a sick fuck who's easily manipulated yeah, into doing fucking heinous shit that's like yeah it makes sense he's like oh I'm fucking evil and he kind of like you could imagine, like, two years ago, like, he's sussing it out with Stu. Like, you can almost imagine, like, scenes where it's, like, he makes a joke to Stu. It's like, yeah, we should fucking kill Sydney's mom. Ha, ha, ha. And then kind of, like, stops for a second and was trying to, like, feel it out to know how far could I push Stu into going with me. Yeah. Or it was a lot easier than you think where he's like, hey, Stu, you know, I'm got, I got to do that. Oh, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Potentially. <laughs> but, uh, um. Yeah. But, no, I mean, it, it works out great um, here. And then. Yeah, I mean, the, again, not trying to get the sequels, but you almost feel like you have to. But, like, yeah, I mean, they kind of do this with part two with one killer not having a motive, one d- doing, but it works so well here. And I think they lose that thread going further and further on in the series. Now I'm worried with part no, two. No, fourth movie, it works. Yeah. The third movie doesn't really work. Yeah. But they all, except yeah, except the third one. That's that's the weak but, link. But whatever. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, so, again, this makes sense that, both of them are fucked up, and then, you know, Billy has the motive, and he's just the leader. So, okay, you know, Stu doesn't need a motive. He just wants to kill people. Like, he would, you know, he, he's the type of guy who would have eventually killed people. It's just Billy got him to have the killer come out a little earlier. Well, I mean, you know, it's a scream baby. That's what it should have been called, scream baby. It's just all great. Just... Yeah. He's just so damn funny. and He's just fucking bouncing off the guy. Even when he's not bouncing off the walls because he's bleeding out, he's still so charismatic. <laughs> yeah, but the, that's what I was referring to. He's wearing the same exact clothing. Mm-hmm. So, um, But... Yeah, no, and it's like, yeah, this is great, you know, like, them framing the father, but again, yeah, you wonder, will it, would it actually work in the end of the day, and, you know, it works from a narrative sense of just like, okay, they're gonna frame him, you don't need to think about real-world forensics, but it also works from this, that, like, these guys are actually inexperienced, they've just watched a fucking bunch of movies, like, and that's, like, the great thing here, it's like, they get cocky here, like, oh, let's stab ourselves before we've taken care of everyone else, because they don't realize how much it's going to fucking get hurt to get fucking stabbed. You know, and as they see, like, some people have theorized, like, you know, like, were the, was Billy going to kill Stu? Like, was he going to turn on him regardless? Um, and, like, he actually be the sole survivor. Like, this was on purpose. But it's like, I don't fucking know. I think it could be 
they know you stab a bunch of times to kill someone, but they don't understand how truly I, delicate I, the human body I, is. I, I think it's that. I think this this is kind of where it goes wrong for them in a way where they just again they're, they're each cocky. each character has to be a protagonist in their own story. Therefore, things have to go wrong for them in trying to achieve their goal. That's how you achieve tension. That's how you achieve drama. Yeah. So th- this is just part of that where. And it's just part of it, like the autonomy switching on Cindy's behalf. Like you need a reason for the, for her to get the upper hand. Yeah. Them losing blood, them being weakened. That's that's a that's a way in for her. Yeah, I, I, and I think part of the validation to this argument that Billy was like not leaving Stu is that he stabs him way too many fucking times <laughs> here. That, but again, it works with he's just a fucking psychopath who's like letting his anger fucking loose. Not realizing, like, oh my fucking accomplice who needs to fucking be here to like help um, give me an alibi I like, has to survive I, I like their interplay too where he Stu's getting more pissed off and it's at billy and then billy gets pissed like, he's like give me the knife Stu, and, and stewie Stu doesn't want to he's afraid what he'll yeah, do they're like a bickering couple and i know people have um tried playing up playing up um a homoerotic angle which i don't know. I, I think that's projection yeah that's I mean, part of me wonders, like we've said with Matthew Lillard, um, like ad-libbing shit, did like he add in like the whole, like I think most people just point to the whole him leaning on like Billy's um, shoulders, like in the movie store scene or whatever. But it's like, that also does seem like a very bro moment. Like, yeah, yeah and all that. And it foreshadows, like I'm literally fucking on his side right yeah, now. Yeah, he's just, he's he's like a sycophantic friend, you know, he's just, he, he, he's impressionable, very... And then the great reveal that Gail is alive. You think she's going to be a hero here, but the, this this is one of the few movies where it shows that people don't always know how to use guns. Like, I can't think of too many other movies where people, like, are shown not to be fucking experts immediately uh, at fighting. I, I can think of some. I mean, it's there again for just an autonomy change where here's a character with the upper hand, and then, oh. No, no, I'm saying, like, it's a, it's just, like, a great moment here. It's just, like, you know, like... Yeah, she's a fucking reporter. <laughs> she's yeah. not like been raised on a fucking compound to um do it. And, you know, and that's the thing, like, you know, it's very easy, like, and you know, I'm guilty of it too. It's like, you know, keep shooting them, keep shooting them, you know, don't you know, like Jamie Lee Curtis keeps dropping the knife in Halloween and all that. It's like you're saying that because you're watching a horror movie. Like, you know, a normal person wouldn't be like, I gotta shoot this body forty five times or this a normal person who's never dealt with a gun wouldn't know how to use it well, so it's very a realistic moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just fucking love this. Their downfall comes from because neither of them were paying attention. Yeah, it's just like, oh shit. It's just like turning to like baby's day out level incompetence well, for yeah. these two. It's, yeah, it's I, I, because I, it falls into here. Like at the end of the day, these are just like they're two teenagers. Yeah, and, no, and, well, and that's it, and that's that's like what I, what I've been saying the whole time. It's like their plan doesn't technically need to make sense because they're fucking crazy they're inexperienced and like when they need the machiavellian fucking part to really fucking co- go off they fuck it up because it's like you, like again like they were thinking like oh it's gonna be so bad so we're gonna do this this and this and they're like they don't think through implications of certain things well yeah too well and in the and they can't because, like, you, you still need the movie to happen yeah. with the drama. Otherwise, so, it, you, a char- characters can't think of every single yeah. detail. Otherwise, there's no drama or attention. So yeah. things and, have to go wrong. And even then, like, it's like I said, like, I'm not trying to shit on the movie. It's, it's a very realistic moment. Like, oh, that, yeah, that, yeah. That they, that they would fu- like this feels like it's not just a hackneyed, oh, they're idiots. And therefore she gets away. It's like, OK, they're bleeding out 
over their head fucking teams <laughs> who have gotten very fucking lucky well, over you know it's like we've said it's like man they got really lucky with all of these other kills i it just which just the way they're interact like the you hit me in the phone dick like that's something like a, we would have said as teenagers yeah, like it's that's like, what they're saying it's, now it's it's how the, it's how oh, no, it's how guys love, talk to each other i, lo- I love this moment like, oh yeah we, this is this is like improv by Matthew Lillard too, which is I you know it's my fucking favorite part of the entire movie. That just like, it, like again, it goes to their fucking kids. Like it's it's hard to because I always like mm. still being a young kid while watching this. I feel like oh these people are older than me. It's like no, I'm we're older than all these actors were, let alone yeah. their characters. It's like yeah, he's a fucking kid who's like oh I don't want my mom and dad to be mad at me because in his mind. Mom and dad were going to come home. They'd be a little mad we had a party, but they'd be so happy I was alive. That's all that matters. He's like, oh, they're going to know I did this. Mom and dad are going to be disappointed. It's, well, it's a great moment. Yeah, well, in, in his teenage mind, that's the worst that can happen. Not yeah. not like he doesn't understand the full implications of a life sentence or the death penalty. Tim, it's yeah. like, oh, my parents are going to be so pissed. Yeah. And um, also we talked over it. Uh, Skeet Ulrich is not acting. There was a horrible pain because um, – yeah, he had heart surgery and had a wire in his chest that the stunt woman playing Sydney missed and hit the padding and hit him straight on in the center of his chest, which sent a huge shockwave of pain through him. So when he fell, that was him really collapsing in pain. Great moment here with Stu. Yeah, I think you know, these lines were ad lib too. Yeah. Yeah, and ironically, they went on a date, so he really did have a thing for her. Yeah, no, they, they started dating because, yeah. because of this He's thing. He's actually in this. Scream too, briefly. He is in the background yeah, what, at, at the party scene. Yeah, which I remember like reading people like, Stu's alive, he broke out of jail or whatever. It's like, it's no, like, no it's, it's, it's just, he was visiting sets. Like, hey, let's put you in the background. I, yeah, I think because he, he was dating Nev Campbell, so yeah, that's... Yeah. Well, and that, that's the thing, because people said, oh, he, you hear him groan there, and it's like, he's alive. And I always took it as, it that didn't kill him, that just fucking finally knocked him out. If, if and he bled, then he, how he died was he fucking bled out. That was the finally the final nail in the coffin of he's not going to get up and chase people around anymore, and he just bleeds out on the floor in a few minutes. Yeah. Well, if Stu survived, if they use that Stu twist in Scream Three, it, it could have still worked with that. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, okay, maybe I could believe him not yeah. dying there with the TV <sighs> landing. Yeah. No, that's. Yeah, and yeah, like I said, I always envision it's like it was he bled out. Like I said, um, yeah, that that's fucking horrific moment, putting the finger in the fucking knife wound. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is great, just how pathetic he is crawling, like, going over to the fucking mask, almost. Like, he's trying to get back into his safe place where he had the power, almost. Yeah. I don't know about that. I think it's just back. It's just like uh, a dramatic I, I blocking. Like <laughs> I like that. The safety off that time, you yeah she's a nice little closing arc for her. like yeah. she's like the bitch reporter who's yeah. and then she kind of just comes through in the end she yeah. saves their asses that's all you need yeah. and then again the fucking best like you know oh the killer comes back because it's like that was in like the first three fridays how many fucking nightmare on elm street yeah. sequels where it's like the surprise I, jump scare i love i love this shot of uh, th- this is like a tradition that continues over the next three movies with kind of like the, the shot the camera looking up at the survivors. I always and love that and moment. Then ending with a headshot. Yeah. And right here, I think, is where the script ended, where um, Randy helps uh, Cindy, and he says, you know, want to go to the movies with me? And I think she says something like, 
not a horror movie or something, but she agrees to go out with Randy, and that's like that. It, it ends like right here. Um, and then this was inserted. I like where he what he says here too. He says, "Where's Gail?" Yeah. Um, which continues into Scream Two. I actually kind of because because even though they had this flirtation, like uh, they're done. Like it, yeah. it, it, it was just that she just like left town. He stayed in. I'm just like, okay, I'm going on to she, my next thing. She's still the re- she's still the reporter. She got her story. Yeah. But in the second one, that actually their relationship goes further, and he's pretty yeah. pretty pissed at her. And this is great, you know, ending on the cream shot. Gail gets her serious moment and all that. Um, yeah, and that's the thing we don't we don't see Sydney again at the end. Like we're done with her. We're done. It's weird kind of we're, we're you know ending on Gail, not Sydney, which is very interesting. But it's like you know her story in theory is done. I, mean, I know you know like you said Williamson had the treatment for two and three potentially already done. But um, who knew that this would become such a big hit to warrant two sequels? Well, no, fucking going on four sequels. Yeah, nobody really knew yeah, it was. Uncut, but um, yeah, then. Because I think when they re- when they release this, everyone thought it was like DOA because it was released in like the same. But it was ninety six, so yeah. it was. I forgot what came out that month, but it it came out at it debuted at like number four of the box office. Then it just kept making more and more with each weekend going by because of just great word of mouth, and then yeah, it was a hit. And it inadvertently being released in late December, you know, like you know okay high school kids are on winter break you know not yeah. a lot of shit's being gonna be you know january's like the dumping ground usually mm-hmm. so it's like you know it came out at the perfect time i mean i know we joked like that this should have been released at halloween time but um yeah you know but it works out but no i mean it's such a great movie love it to death um even though we just commentated on it i know i really want to actually watch the movie this halloween season Oh, I'm always down to rewatching yeah. it. I, I can never get tired of these movies. Yeah, so I mean that's the thing. Like usually, like I hate when we do our Halloween commentaries because it's like then I'm like I don't want to watch Halloween like we did last year. And I don't think we did watch Halloween last year after doing the commentary. But I'm down well, we to were watch separated this. last year too. Oh yeah, well, not, <laughs> not me and Jacob. You you were. Oh okay. Uh, but yeah, I don't think me and him ended up watching. It. I think that was it. But um, no, this, and this is great. You know, like you got the closing credits, which you know usually I already shut the movie off by this point, but it's um. Nice to see, like, you know, we're getting everyone in there. I, I always watch these credits. I like seeing, I think as Wes Craven said, he just picks out his favorite shot of each yeah. actor in the movie. He's like, it's very difficult to do, but I, I love it. It kind of sums him up in like a little, like a little moment. Yeah. And it's not like a, you would think like, oh, it's going to be off in the climax. Like, no, just random parts around yeah, the movie. It's but, nice. Uh, leave Shriver there. <laughs> <laughs> could zoom in on the fucking footage. See you later, leave. Or see co- you in part two. I, yeah. Um. Yeah, and again, the music in this, the closing credits is great. You know, again, credits are, the music's great. And, you know, it's damn shame we lost Wes Craven. You know, mm-hmm. he gave us tons of great movies. It, know, it's one. it's really amazing if you think about it, how each decade he redefined horror. Because in the 70s, he made Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. In the 80s, he made Nightmare on Elm Street. In the 90s, it was Scream. Yeah. And then in the 2000s, it was Cursed. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what? Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, again, you know, it really, this was just like lightning in the bottle. You had the perfect casting with all the actors, you know, Kevin Williamson writing it, and yeah. then, you know, Wes Craven directing it, and, you know, that's where it's, you start getting with like, you know, the sequels and you go on. So I'm, I'm really concerned with part five and where no Williamson or um, Wes Craven that we're going to be relying on the actors. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's a pretty damn good cast to, if you're going to have to rely on something that they're a pretty good cast to have. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of torn on with the fifth because on, on one hand, 
you don't have Williamson and Craven. I think they're that's what made Scream from from yeah like of for their all vision. parts three's problems with the writing. At least you had the actors and the director. Yeah. Now, now you're literally just gonna be with the actors. Yeah. It just. But but on the other hand, maybe having a fresh perspective could be beneficial. But it could be. But, but it, it could because the yeah. the guys who made it made that Ready or Not movie, which yeah, was really so, good, and it had that yeah. sort of irreverence to it that these movies do so maybe maybe it's a good fit we'll, we'll see but we'll i'm find out later 2022 right is it coming out twenty comes out january i think the trailer oh. the trailer oh, yeah. the trailer comes out i think like in a few days yeah i remember i saw his scream was trending like the other day and i'm like what? yeah i forgot okay so we'll we'll find so by the time this comes out um the trailer in theory should have already been out so you'll um you'll know if it's a good trailer or not we're in the past not knowing this so yeah, I'm. I'm. Ex- I'm only gonna watch one trailer though. I don't want to watch more of the marketing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, well. We shall see. So. All right. Well, thank you for joining us tonight as we talked about Scream. Jake. All right. Good night. Happy Halloween. Scream well. There we go. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. <laughs> <laughs>